We're in 1 John, coming to a close in, first, in the book of 1 John. Um, our theme is in him is, is, is no darkness. And we're going to start chapter 5 today. Um, um, like I said, as, as we close out uh, 1 John, so we're going to be in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And there's a little bit of a shift here. We've been talking about love and so on and so forth. A little bit of a shift here, and the top is going, is going to focus on um, who Jesus is, um, who believed to, uh, belief in the Son. So there's three things we're going to be looking at. Um, the test of belief, uh, loving God and His children, and obedience, and how we are conquerors because of who we are in Christ Jesus. So uh, let's read 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of Him. This is how we know that we love God's children when we love God and obey His commands. For this is what love for God is, to keep His commands, and His commands are not a burden, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So, the first thing we see here in, verse, in part of verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So uh, faith has a, has, has a particular content and a particular focus, okay? Um, and it says, everyone who believes that, and what that is, is that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. So everyone who believes that has been born of God. Our faith belief is evidence of, of our having been born again, and, it, and it's a continuous belief. It's not a one-time thing. It's a continuous belief. You continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, so everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, that's what you need to believe, that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who, uh, uh, who was um, promised, the anointed one who was sent to be the savior of the world from sin and Israel's deliverer. That's what you must believe, that he is the Messiah, the promised one in the Old Testament. And when you read the Old Testament, you see the promise over and over again throughout the Old Testament, through the prophets, even in the Psalms. All the Old Testament is about Jesus. <laughs> from Genesis to Revelation, all of the scriptures. And he told, he told the disciples out on the road to Damascus in, in Luke 24, he said, it's all about me. He said, and, and search the scriptures, and for in them you think you have eternal life, but they testify to me. They're all about me. So you got to believe that he is the one that those Old Testament scriptures are talking about. That is a, a, a test of belief for anyone who claims that Jesus is Messiah. If you b- b- claim to believe in Jesus but don't believe that he's Messiah, you're not a Christian. Plain and simple. Because that's one of the prerequisites <laughs> to being a Christian is believing that he is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who was promised. Okay, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So we see here, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a theological term called ordo salutis, and it's a Latin term. It means the order in which the stages of salvation flow. So we see here that regeneration precedes faith. It says, the one who believes that Jesus is the Messiah has been born of God. The evidence that you've been born of God is that you believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So, regen- so regeneration precedes faith, not faith doesn't precede regeneration. So has been, past tense, born of God, all right? That means renewal or regenerate. Regeneration, the Bible refers to it in other terms as regeneration. It means a rebirth, a renewal, a spiritual transformation and a purification. So 
you have been born of God. We hear the term, Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And it's the same thing. He that believes that Jesus is the Messiah, has, is the Christ or the Messiah, has been born of God. And we see um, in the Old Testament evidence of this in the Old Testament even. God has always had this plan. In the book of Ezekiel chapter 36, it says here, for I will take you, and he's talking, this is God talking uh, to, the, to, the, to the Jews, for I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and will bring you into your own land. All right, future he's talking about. I will also sprinkle, sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. That's it right there. That's the rebirth. He said, I will give you a new heart and, and put a new spirit within you. All right? That's, called the, that's the rebirth. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's what happened when you got saved. God took out your stony heart that was hardened towards him and gave, gave you a heart of flesh. That's responsive, responsive to him. I will place my spirit within you. All right? We all have the spirit of God when you get born again. And cause you, listen to the language, cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. He said, when I put my spirit in you, it's going to cause you to want to obey me. And we're going to look a little bit more at that in, in a minute. He says, but when I put my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes, my word, and carefully observe my ordinances. So the person who is born again, and that's in the Old Testament. Let's look at some New Testament. In the book of Titus, chapter 3. He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done. You're not saved because of anything that you've done. But according to his mercy, it's because of God's mercy that we're saved. His grace and mercy. That's why you're saved, because of his mercy. Not giving you what you did deserve, which was hell. Amen? Through the washing of regeneration, there it is, and renewal by the Holy Spirit. For the washing of regeneration or being born again and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit renews your dead spirit and causes you to be alive in Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians, um, he made us alive. We didn't come alive on our own. He made us alive through this rebirth process. Okay? First Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of his great mercy. There's that word again, mercy. God had mercy on us. Because of his great mercy, he has given us a what? A new birth, born again, born from above. He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I love this. And into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's good. That's good. He's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. Kept in heaven for you. That's security. Eternal security. So the born-again person, that's who that's referring to, all right? So the person who is born again, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born again, made uh, new, renewal, spirit has been revived. And then he says, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. 
Everyone who loves a father also, in other words, loves his kids too. A characteristic of a child of God is to love and be loved by members of God's family. That's one of the characteristics of, of a person who's been born again. You, you, you love God and you're loved by and of and love members of the church. There's no such thing as, I love God, but I hate Christians. That's just not a thing, <laughs> according to the Bible. Because <laughs> if you love the parent, you love the child. What would you think of if somebody said to you, I love you, but I can't stand your kids? <laughs> what? And it says, it's assumed that we will love God and his children. It says, um, everyone who loves the father also loves the one born of him. It doesn't say tries to. It says, it's assumed that you will love the one born of him. Our common, our common, and our, our common ground is Jesus as children of God. That's our common ground. Not our political affiliation, not our race, not our church denomination. That's not our common ground. Our common ground is Jesus. I love you because you're God's son or daughter, and so am I. So therefore, I have to love you because you're my brother, you're my sister. Faith without love is just a mental assent. It, it, biblical faith without love, and it's just agreement pretty much. I agree. But that's not biblical faith or love. Uh, 1 John 3, 14 and 15. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. He says, we know that we passed from death to life. How? Because I love you. Because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, figuratively speaking. <laughs> and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. He says, everyone who hates other Christians is a murderer. And no murderer has eternal life residing in him. In other words, you ain't saved. You can't claim to love God and hate his church. People to say, I, you know, I love God, I don't go, but I can't stand the church. I don't, that's why I don't go to church. I hate church folk. Really. Well, God has something to say about you. <laughs> we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and, that, and you know no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Doesn't mean we're going to get along and agree on everything. That's not what that means. Doesn't mean that you necessarily even have to like me. <laughs> but you got to love me. 1 John 3.16, we always quote 3.16, but 1 John 3.16, I'm paraphrasing, it says, you know, if you love me, you're willing to die for me. Wow. If you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, you will be willing to lay down your life for them, it says in 1 John 3, 16. Read it. All right. Verse 2. This is how we know that we love God's children. When we love God and obey His commands. 
He said, that's how we know that we love God's children, when we love him and obey his commands. Obeying God's commands shows believers the way to, to do good to others. The way I know how to do good to you is, is I'll read what God has to say, and then I'll obey that and treat you. I, the word of God teaches me how to treat you. And because I love you, I want to treat you right, so I'm going to obey what God said. Because I want to treat you right because you're my brother or my sister. So therefore, he says, that's how we know that we love God's children when we love God and obey his commands. My proof that I love God is, is, is treating you right. Obeying God. Lord, how, how, how am I supposed to treat my brother and my sister? What do you say about that in Scripture? And then I obey that. Um, love and law are complementary. You obey the law because you love God and you love his law. I'm going to look at that in a minute. But they're complementary, not, not, they don't battle against each other. Our love for God is a demonstration of our love for the body of Christ and vice versa. Love from faith is vertical and horizontal. Biblical love and faith is vertical and it's horizontal. I love God and I love you. They go together. They go together. Our resistance to temptation not only shows our marital love to our wives, when I resist temptation to sin against my wife sexually, when I, that shows my love for, for my, our resistance to temptation not only shows our marital love to our wives, it also shows our Christian love to my neighbor's wife. Let me read that again. Our resistance to temptation not only shows our marital love to our wives, it also shows our Christian love to our neighbor's wife. I'm proving to my neighbor that I love you and that I love them because I'm not going to cheat on my wife with you. It's showing my Christian love to my wife and to my neighbor's wife. The life of God within us makes obedience possible. The new life that's in us, because we've been born again, makes obedience to God's law possible. Love for God and others and other Christians makes obedience desirable. Because I love God, I want to do you right. Love for God and you makes obedience desirable. I desire to want to obey because I love you and I love God. In, 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 in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, it talks about, you know, um, every, every person possessing their own vessel in sanctification and honor. And it says... Um, that no one defraud his brother in this way. In other words, fornicating with your brother or sister. He says, let no one defraud his brother in this manner. Defraud means to wrong. If I'm trying to get with you and we ain't married, I'm wronging you. And it says, because I love you, I ought not do that. I don't want to fornicate with you because I love you, in spite of what my desires say. I love you, so therefore I won't violate God's law on that because I love you and I love God and I love his law. You see how this works? And we don't obey out of fear. Um, for this is what the love of God is to keep his commands and his commands are not burdensome. First of all, we don't, we don't obey out of fear because I'm afraid of what God was going to do to me if I disobey him. That's not why we obey God. We first devote our hearts to God in willing reverence and then form our lives to his law. 
we obey God, we devote our lives in, 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 in reverence for God. That's how, we, that's how this works. Deuteronomy chapter 10. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you except to fear the Lord, reverence? It doesn't mean fear is to be afraid. Reverence, reverence, reverential awe. And it means um, because I understand your, your position and your power, I respect you. That's what that word fear means. Reverential awe. Fear the Lord your God by walking in all his ways to love him. There it is and to worship the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. That's what he said. God says, that's what I ask of you, except to uh, reverence me, respect me, acknowledge my power and my position in your life, and to walk in all my ways, to love me, and to worship the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. Romans, do not owe anyone anything. That's convicting. (laughs) Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. When I love you, I'm fulfilling the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covenant, and any other commandment, all of them, he says, are summed up by this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the commandments are summed up. When you look at the Ten Commandments, all of them is, most of them are relational, how, I, how we treat each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's you. That's me. He said, all are summed up by this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. No wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Wow. If I love you, I'm not going to wrong you. Love does no wrong to its neighbor. Now, we can accidentally, we can, we're not perfect. We can accidentally do stuff to people or intentionally do stuff to people. But your heart is not to harm. It ought not be. Because I love you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't do nothing to your neighbor that you won't do to yourself. Harmfully. <laughs> Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Galatians, for you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. We're not free to just please ourselves any tiny, any old kind of way, in any old, any old time. No, we're not free to do that. That's not what freedom is. He says, you've been called to freedom, brothers, and only don't use that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another. How? Through love. I want to serve you my gifts are for you. Your gifts are for me. And in the church, we use those gifts to serve each other, to build each other up, the Bible says in Ephesians 2. Serve one another through love, not through anger, not through, you know, uh, force or anything else. We serve each other through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, here it is again, love your neighbor as yourself. You want to obey the law? Love your neighbor as yourself. It sounds simple, and it is in one sense. Love your neighbor as yourself. But we don't obey out of fear. I want to read um, something. There's a, a song. I've never heard this song. First of all, let me, let me, let me, let me uh, 
I want to quote Augustine who says this, um, to love the children of God is to love the Son of God. To love the Son of God is to love the Father. Nobody can love the Father without loving the Son. You can't claim to love God and not love Jesus. Nobody can love the Father without loving the Son. And anyone who loves the Son will love the other children as well. If you love Jesus, you're going to love the people that um, have, have, have repented and accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior. You cannot say you love God if you do not love the people of God. To love Christ means to love the church, the body of Christ. To love Christ means to love the church, the body of Christ. So there's a song by a guy named Derek Webb. I've never heard of this guy. I don't know who he is. His name is Derek Webb. But there's a song he wrote. I've never heard the song, but I love the lyrics. So I want to I quote the lyrics to this song. And it says, I have come with one purpose, to capture for myself a bride. By my life, she is lovely. By my death, she's justified. I have always been her husband, though many lovers she has known. So with water I will wash her, and by my word alone. So when you hear the sound of the water, you will know you're not alone, because I haven't come for only you, but for my people to pursue. You cannot care for me with no regard for her. If you love me, you will love the church. The song is called The Church. If you love me, you will love the church. I have long pursued her as a harlot and a whore, but she will feast upon me. She will drink and thirst no more. So when you taste my flesh and my blood, you will know you're not alone, because I haven't come for only you, but for my people to pursue. You cannot care for me with no regard for her. If you love me, you will love the church. There is none that can replace her, Though there are many who will try, and though some may be her bridesmaids, they can never be my bride. Because I haven't come for only you, but for my people to pursue. You cannot care for me with no regard for her. If you love me, you will love the church. And all the church said, amen. <laughs> amen. You cannot love God and not love his people. It's not possible. Amen. All right. Uh, back to 1 John. Okay. This is how we know that we love God's children, when we love God and obey His commands. For this is what love for God is, to keep His commands. That's pretty simple, right? He said, for this is what love for God is, to keep His commands. John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commands. That's Jesus talking. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, verse 21. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Our obedience is how we say, I love you back to God. Amen. When God says, I love you, how do you say, I love you back? By obeying what he says. You can say it, but put your money where your mouth is. Obey me, he says. That's how you prove your love. That's how you say, I love you back to God. 
God, I'm going to obey you. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. He says, that's the one who really loves me, the one who does what I say. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father. The father will love you and the son. We both will love you. And one another place, he says, we'll come and make our abode with you, he says in another place. We'll come and reside in you, me and the father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. Listen to that. He said, I'll reveal myself to the one who obeys me. You want to see Jesus? Obey him. He'll show up. He said, I'll reveal myself to the one who obeys me. Wow. Um, Let me go back. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And then he says, and his commands are not a burden. He said, his commands are not a burden. There are many things that can, you know, cause the, the, the scriptures to be difficult for us. We have bad, bad habits and, you know, we got pride, you know, we got fear. It's just awkward to do that. All of that can make, the, make, make, it, make it hard and that can make it difficult. Um, but he said, my commandments are not, are, not, are not a burden. Some of us be like, wow, really? You know, I tried to obey some of that stuff and that was a burden. There are two words for burden. One of them is barrows, and it means a weight pressing on physically, and it makes the demand on one's resources. It's heavy and it's burdensome, okay? And the other one is fortune, and it's something carried to bear without reference to weight, all right? Um, so let's look at a, look at a couple, couple scriptures here. Um, Matthew chapter 23. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it. He says, all right, they got Moses, and Moses was the one who, you know, you know led the people and, and taught the people and so on and so forth. He says, they sit in Moses' seat of authority, okay? He says, therefore, because of that, do whatever they tell you and observe it. And then he says, but don't do what they do. Because they don't practice what they teach. They're a bunch of hypocrites. He says, they teach the word. Okay, whatever they teach and that's right, yeah, do that. Obey it. They, they got the authority to, to, to teach, but don't do what they do. Don't act like them. Don't act like these Pharisees, hypocrites. Why? He says, because they don't practice what they teach. He says, they tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry, burdensome and put them on people's shoulders. They put them on you. Here, all these laws. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do all the stuff they added to the law that wasn't part of God. Don't do all the stuff they put on your shoulders. They put them on, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. Wow. They put all the burden on you, but don't help you at all. That's what that word burden is a weight pressing on you physically. It's heavy, it's burdensome. Makes a demand on you as a believer. You better do this. Makes a demand on you, heavy burdens. He says, they're seated in the chair of Moses, do whatever they tell you, observe it, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to, to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. And some of us may know people like this, whether they're pastors or whatever. 
put everything on you, but they themselves don't, don't do what they, what they tell you to do. That's the Pharisees. That's the bread. Then look what Jesus says. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. Burdened out with all that stuff we just read with the Pharisees. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened out with all that stuff the Pharisees are putting on you. He said, come to me. He says, and I'll give you rest. I will, I will give you rest, he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And then this is what he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I ain't got the same burden the Pharisees got. My burden, he said, is light. So therefore, come to me. I'll lift all those stuff off your shoulders that they refuse to lift. I'll lift it. I'll carry it. I'll put it on my shoulders. Come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, burned down, and I will give you rest. See, see, the scriptures are not a burden to, 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 to believers. Um, James Boyce, in his commentary, I want to read what he says. He says, difficult the commandments of Christ are, burdensome they are not. You understand the difference? He says, difficult they are. He said, but burdensome they're not. For Christ never laid a commandment on a man without giving him the strength to carry it. Amen. Jesus ain't going to put something on you and say, all right, you're on your own. Go on. And don't drop it. He would never say that to you. Christ never laid a commandment on a man without giving him the strength to carry it. And every commandment that is laid upon us provides another chance to show our love. Every commandment that's laid upon you is a chance to show how much you love God. In all fairness, however, we must admit that there are times when Christians find the commandments of God to be grievous. For who has not heard some Christian complain at some time that God is unfair in expecting him or her to live up to some conditions, particularly when it runs counter to what the individual wishes to do? And what Christian has not done it himself, at least mentally? You may not have said it, but you thought it. I don't, don't want to do that. That's hard. That's a burden. The last phrase is a clue to understanding the problem, however. For the commands of God become burdensome only when we desire to do something else. I'm going to read that again. The commands of God become burdensome only when we desire to do something else. I don't want to do that. Then it becomes burdensome to you. In that case, love for our own will dominates our love for God and fellowship is broken. And what was intended for our good, the commandment, seems cruel and restrictive. Seems cruel and restrictive. He didn't say it was. Because you want to do something else that seems cruel and restrictive to you. The solution is to return to that position in which we love God with all our hearts and souls and minds. I need to get back to my love for God so this won't be a burden for me. I don't want to do something else, God. I want to obey you. I want to do this. Help me, Lord, to want to obey you. 
The scriptures are to be a joyful delight for the believer. A joyful delight for the believer, not a burden. Psalm 119, verse 14 to 16. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees or your word as much as in all riches. He says, I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. Verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statues. See the, the, the delight. Not a burden. I will delight in your statues. I will not forget your word. Verse 97, how I love your instruction. It is my meditation all day long. You ever say that about the word? I just love the word of God. Do you really? Even the hard parts. I love even the hard parts, God. I love your instruction. Help me to obey this. David said, how I love your instruction is my meditation all day long. I think about it all the time. And in his word does he meditate day and night, Psalm 1. Verse 129, your decrees are wondrous, therefore I obey them. Your word is wondrous, God. Your word is just full of wonder, and therefore I obey. Nothing burdensome here. David's not saying this is a bird. I'm struggling. He, he didn't say that. He says the, the light, wondrous are your words, and therefore I obey. Here's a scripture in, uh, in, in Proverbs 13. It says, the way of the transgressor is hard. He said, the way of the sinner is the one that's hard, not the saint. <laughs> King James says, the way of the transgressor is, is hard. When we love God, we want to obey. Love is not burdensome for a believer. We want to obey. You know, we, we remember the story of, of Jacob and, uh, and, and, and Rachel. Uh, uh, you know, when his uncle Laban tricked him, you know, into, into, into working for the wrong woman. <laughs> and then, then Rachel, he said, you got to work another, another seven years for Rachel if you want to get her. And he did. And the Bible says uh, the seven years seemed as if a few days to him because he loved her so much. Wow. Seven years, he said, but because he loved Rachel so much, he was willing to work another seven years. And it says, the Bible says, it just seemed like a few days for him because he loved her so much. See, you'll, you'll do things for people that you love that you wouldn't do for somebody that you don't love. Amen, that's true. You'll do things, you'll make sacrifices for people that you love that you wouldn't do for strangers or some people that you don't like, you know, co-workers that you don't like, you won't do that for them. <laughs> but people that you love, you do stuff for people that you love that you won't do. You know, brothers, you remember you, you know, pursuing your wife, stuff you would do for her when y'all was dating? That you probably won't do now that you're married. But I'm just saying, you know, you stuff that you did because <laughs> you was trying to get, trying to win her heart. You would do stuff for her that you wouldn't do for another woman, but you do it for her because, man, I, I want her. And you do stuff for her that you wouldn't do for somebody else that you didn't love. Love makes you do things that you won't normally do for just any old, any old other person. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, that's just the way it is. But God said, okay, what would you do for God? But God said, you, you love me? Obey me. We ought to be, do so for God that we wouldn't do for any other person. What would you do for God that you would God, do things for God that you wouldn't do for other people? Because God has done for you the ultimate thing. 
Are you willing to die for him? Love makes you do strange things sometimes. All right. Ah. His commandments are not a burden because everyone who has been born of God, born again, conquers the world. Everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. And this is a continual victory. Everyone who conquers the world has, everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. Why? How come we can conquer the world? John 16, 33, Jesus talking. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. He said, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. So the reason you and I can be conquerors is because Jesus has conquered the world and we are in him. We don't conquer on our own. We, we ain't conquerors. We're only in Christ. So he has been born of God, conquers the world. Romans 8. No, in all these things, we are what? More than conquerors. How? Through him who loved us. It's always through him. We are more than conquerors. He that is born of God conquers the world because of Christ conquering the world at the cross. He's conquered the world. So therefore, I'm more than a conqueror through him and only through him. Um, Because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. How do we conquer the world? Through our faith. Our faith is the source and means of our victory. Because of our faith, that's what conquers the world. The spell of the world is broken, right? God and his word become attractive. The new birth takes the blinders off of us. We see the world for what it really is. When you become born again, it was amazing how you, you start to see, especially if you start reading the Bible, when you start getting the scripture, you start to see the world for what it really is. And the blinders are off now. So we can begin to see things that we couldn't see before because we were either in it or just so our blinders were on. Um, but the, the, the spell of the world, we were under the spell in the world. You know, the, the Bible talking in 2 Corinthians, um, the God of this world has blinded their eyes. Talking about Satan has blinded the eyes of the world, the people of the world. And so your blinders were on. And then when you get saved and God removes the blinders and you start getting into the scriptures, the, 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 the interest of your word gives light, the Bible says. The interest of your word gives light. You start to see things for what they really are. But our faith is what conquers, that's the source and means of our victory, is our faith. The faith that overcomes is faith that sees eternal realities, eternal reality. You begin to see things from an eternal perspective. The Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians 4, um, the things that are, are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And you begin to see those things that are eternal with your spiritual eye, quote unquote, if you will. You start to see uh, uh, eternal realities. You start to experience the power of God in your life. Love for Christ. You, you love Christ to such an extent that sinful pleasures, sexual, secular values, ungodly ways, selfish materialism, they all lose their attraction. And they're looked upon now with disgust, aversion, and grief. 
When you love Christ like we should, when we love Christ like we should, the sinful pleasures, you realize that sin is pleasurable. The joys of sin last for a season, the Bible says. But sin feels good. Amen. <laughs> pleasurable. But those sinful pleasures, secular values, the world's values, whatever that is, money, status, all of that stuff, secular values, whatever that may be, ungodly ways, living ungodly, and many myriads of ways we can do that, and selfish materialism, just always wanting, you know, the, the lust of the eye, secular material, self, selfish materialism. I want it. I don't care what anybody else says. If you want it, I want it. I want that. I don't care if you want it. I want it for myself. Selfish materialism. All of that stuff lose their attractiveness for us. And then we start to look upon them with disgust, aversion, and grief. Man, I couldn't believe I used to, I used to think like that. And you repent, God, forgive me for feeling that way for so long. Man, I was so selfish. I was so greedy. I was so ungodly. Man, in thought, word, and deed. And you begin to hate that. Why? Because you've been born again. You're a new person. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things become new. So those things become unattractive to us because of our faith. Our faith is what gives us victory in this world. You know, we, our faith is so powerful. Our faith, is, our faith is like no other in the world. Our faith gives us victory. He said, this is the, uh, what overcomes the world. Our faith, our belief that Jesus is the Messiah. And listen, now, who is the one who conquers the world? The verse he says, this is the victory that conquered the world, our faith. But who is the one who conquers the world? But the one who believes, what? That Jesus is the Son of God. You've got to believe he's the Messiah, but you also got to believe he's the Son of God. This is also right belief. See, our faith has to be based in right belief. That Jesus is the Son of God. That he is the second person of the triune Godhead that he is God manifest in the flesh. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, uh, when I say Son of God, I don't just mean, see, in, in the Council of Nicaea, Arius believed that Jesus was the Son of God too. But he believed Jesus was the created Son of God. Athanasius said, no, 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 no. He is the eternal, unbegotten, un uh, uncreated Son of God. Big difference. Jehovah's Witnesses believe Jesus is the Son of God, but they believe he's created. Created Son of God. The first creation of God is Jesus, according to Jehovah's Witnesses. But no, 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 no. That's not what Son of God is in the Bible. Son of God is the co-eternal second person of the triune Godhead. That's what you get. That's the one who conquers the world. The one who believes that Son of God, the Bible, what the Bible says, who is the Son of God. See, you got to get this right. You can't just, see, we got we to learn how to, how to define terminology because cults will use some of the same terminology that we use in the church. They'll use Jesus, Son of God. All, they'll use, the question is, what do you mean by that? What do you mean when you say he's the Son of God? What do you mean by that? 
See, because they, they, they pour different meanings into the same terms. And so you got you to learn how to, to scale the language barrier when it comes to cults. Because they'll use the same terminology. Jesus, Son of God, even Trinity. Oneness Pentecostals believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But they believe that he's only the Son of God because of the spirit that lives in him. You take the spirit out of him, he's no longer the Son of God. And according to them, there was no son in the Old Testament, only the Father. There is no trinity in oneness Pentecostalism. There's only the Father who manifests himself as the Son and as the Spirit. Jesus is the Father. The Spirit is the Father in oneness Pentecostalism. That's not Bible. So that's not the biblical Son of God. So you got to have the right definitions so, who is the one who conquers the world? The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, the co-eternal, co-equal second person of the triune Godhead. That's who is the one who conquers the world. So, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children, when we love God and obey His commands. For this is what love for God is, to keep His commands. And His commands are not a burden, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? 